0: Amen, amen. Ah, such a beautiful, beautiful time in worship. Amen.
1: Praise the name of Jesus. Last night I was in a service, and they sang this song that was such a beautiful, beautiful encouragement.
0: And it was simply the words, you and I have got history. We go way, way back. We go way, way back. You and I have got history. We go way, way back. We go way, way back. Huh? You and I. We got history. We go way, way back. Come on. Yes. We go way, way back. And you and I, we got history. Yes. We go way, way back. We go way, way back. One more time. You and I got We go way, way back. We go way, way back. Amen, amen. It's good to be reminded that the Savior that saved you has not changed, amen? He
1: is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so we are grateful To a God who doesn't change. While the world is changing, things are ebbing and flowing, our God remains the same. Amen. If you would stand with me, if you're able to, open your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be in chapter 2, verse 19. Philippians chapter 2. When you got it, say so. It says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own and not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I send him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life. To supply what was lacking in your service toward me father we thank you this morning for the beautiful beautiful reminders that you are a faithful God and Savior and this morning Lord as we are in your word we ask spirit of God may you speak to us may we hear your voice and may we not be distracted in mind or heart But God, may we be sensitive to your spirit in this moment and may we honor you and all, Lord God, that we do in these next few moments in hearing and thinking on how we can apply the truth of your word. God, be glorified in this time. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, Amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so we are continuing in our series Indivisible, Indivisible, and today I want to speak a message entitled Two Men, One Mission, Two Men, One Mission, and it's been said many times, I'm sure that you've heard it, teamwork makes the dream work. If you, if you want to get something done, you need a team of people that are actually going to help you or assist you in getting this job done, We're, especially when it comes to Christianity. We're never called to just do things alone. We are called to do things together as the body of Christ, we're called to work together. In organizations that, you know, some of you work for, you need teams, right? It's, it's much better when you have a team to actually do something. It's terrible when you have a team and people are doing their own thing, right? It, it, it's, it's terrible. Pastor Aldo and I, we talk about it. He has some teams, you know, that work with him, or sometimes, you know, they're not working with him so well, glory to God, or working with each other, and it becomes frustrating when you don't have that teamwork and that alignment that you need, and one thing that I remind you of is the book of Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 is a story, and it is a, it, it is a recollection of what we know as the Tower of Babel, and what happened was in this moment is that the people on the the earth all spoke one language up until this point, and they spoke one language, and for some reason, they came to a point where they decided, you know what? We are going to build a city, and we're going to build a tower that rises to the heavens in case we're scattered throughout the earth. We're going to make a name for ourselves, and the scripture says something that is really important. It says that God saw what they were doing, and God is like, hold on a second. What is wrong with these people? And I'm paraphrasing right now because they were deciding that they were going to do their own thing. God never instructed them to build a tower or to make a name for themselves. And so God comes down and he confuses their languages so they are no longer able to communicate with each other. I mean, just for a moment, let's imagine that. We're all in here and I'm speaking English and you understand what I'm saying. And just imagine the lights went out and flicked black on and all of a sudden you're sitting there and I'm talking and you don't understand what I'm saying. And then you go to talk to the person next to you and you don't understand what they're saying. Some of you are married and you're like, that happens all the time. But anyway. Just, just think about that for a moment, how crazy that would have been. Up until this point, speaking the same language, and all of a sudden, you are not speaking the same language. You cannot communicate, and there's no way to really get that. I mean, if you if you have ever spoken to someone who doesn't speak English, or you know, you're in a place where you don't speak the language, and you're there, and you're trying to communicate, man, it is crazy trying to communicate with someone. So just imagine that happening. These people have no reference to this. But when you look at that story, while that's crazy enough, you know what God said when he was right before he confused their languages? He said nothing will be withheld from them because they're one. Nothing will be withheld from them because they are one. But if you fast forward, the story doesn't end there. Why? Because in the book of Acts chapter 2, the people of God, the church, was in an upper room. And the scripture says that in this time of celebration, there were Jewish people from all different places that spoke different languages and different dialects. And when the Holy Spirit came down, what he did was he undid what he did at the Tower of Babel. What he did was he poured out his spirit and all of a sudden these people that didn't speak these other languages began to speak in tongues. And you know what these people heard? They heard this language. They were speaking the same language and they were praising God and giving glory to God. God did something in the upper room to do what? The purpose was to unify. The purpose was to bring unity, but not just any unity, but to bring unity to the people of God, to unify the church of God so that way God could build his church. Why? Because in order for us to build, we have to be unified. We have to be one. And here's what I understand from this is that when we look at that, God has affirmed in the book of Genesis, think about this for a moment, the limitless possibilities of a united people. He affirms that in Genesis 11, and then he brings the power of the Spirit of God and and, and, and Acts chapter 2, and that way what? So that way now he can bring unity, and we can do what? We can do things that are impossible. Pastor Aldo talked about that when he exhorted us earlier. We can actually be part of something that is greater than us. Let me ask you something. As you look around right now, do you see some impossibilities? Do you see some things that are like, uh, I, saw, I saw Dawn's mask. She's like, oh, yeah, there's some impossibilities out there. That, 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 well, that, that expression is what we all feel, right? I, I mean, I, listen, I watched the news the other day. I had to shut it up. I'm like, man, I'm getting depressed. I'm like, this is craziness out here. And, and the fact is, we look around and we see some impossibilities. with church, I want you to understand this because this is extremely important. We are living in a moment of evident, evident, unprecedented need. We are living in a moment. Listen, I love this. Last night when I told y'all we we were at the service last night, and I love the analogy that one of the pastors gave over there. He said, man, if you saw, you know, a a, a child that was there that had lost their parent, and that child was crying and whining and weeping and saying, oh, where's my mommy? Where's my daddy? And they were crying. You wouldn't walk up and be like, what's wrong with you, kid? Why are you crying? Why would you stop looking at your dad? You wouldn't do that to that kid, would you? No, you would make an effort to help that child reconnect with their parent, would you not? I mean, that's what you and I would do as decent people. Come on now. And can I tell you what we are seeing right now? We are seeing a generation of people that are whining. They're They're, they're, they're saying a bunch of different stuff, but you know what they're really saying? I lost my daddy. I lost the connection with my God. I'm trying to find my God. Church, that's the reason why you and I, we have to stay on mission. We, have, we cannot lose sight. We can't get caught up in these sidebar situations and get concerned over here and over there. We need to continue the mission. We need to continue to point people to Christ because people are crying the way they are because they don't know their daddy. Because they don't know their creator. Because they haven't been connected. And this is, you know, they haven't been connected with their mother, the church, the body of Christ. They haven't been unified to be able to find what? Their purpose. So they're crying. They're they're, they're, go- they're hurting. There is a brokenness that is there in church. We've got to be the ones who say, wait a second. There is a, This moment is an evident, unprecedented need, and opportunity for the church. But here's the thing. Apart from real unity around the gospel, we'll miss it. Apart from real unity around the gospel, we will miss this moment. We will miss this moment. I want you to think about this this morning. Real unity is only possible when we are gospel-centered and gospel sent. Real unity is only possible when we are gospel-centered and gospel-sent. And I could have easily just ended there at the point of gospel-centered, right? I could have said that's it. But here's the problem. The problem is we are such selfish people that what happens to us is we are gospel-centered and we are all about Jesus and we in our life seems to be all about Jesus and we think, hey, I'm all about Jesus, so I'm all good. No, that's not enough. It's not enough just to be content with your relationship with Christ. It's not enough just to know that you know God's Word. It's not enough just to be a person who prays and is in God's Word. It's not enough just to be a person who is living according to biblical standards in all of my life. Listen, those are all good things, very important. If you're going to be a good Christian, come on now. Those things have to be there. However, we sing it all the time, right? It's not about us, right? But it's about Jesus. It's not just about me and my comfort. It's not just about me and my blessing. It is about the what? It is about the mission that God has for us. It is about the mission that God has called us into. And church, I, and I say this with all sincerity. And this is not to uh, make anybody feel bad, but you know, we were in our men's um, group yesterday in the morning, our last men's group, as we were going through the Christian man. And I listen. I encourage you guys to. Get that book for the men in the room. If you don't have it, I think we have a couple of copies left. We can get you one before you leave. But if you don't have a copy, grab that. But if you do have a copy, listen, read it. Sit down and get with some other men and read it. But the last chapter in that book is called Sharing Your Faith. And, 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 and we were sitting there around the ta- table with us, about nine of us were there, and, and, what, and what I asked the question as we were talking about sharing our faith, and I was like, let me ask the question. Like, how many of you are really intentional, and you're really thinking about sharing your faith? And it wasn't to be condemning, it's because we're having a conversation around a mandate, right? We're having a conversation, and we're talking, and, and, and as we're having this conversation, and we're talking around this mandate of sharing your faith, the question is this, do you even care about sharing your faith? And can I tell you something, church? Here, here, here's what I want to tell you. Every one of us were honest, and we all were there, and nobody raised their hand to say, Yeah, I'm intentional about this. I am a man that is on mission. I am a man who is about the Father's work in mission. Now, I, I promise you, these guys are good dads. I, pro- I mean, I think they are. You know, I think they're great guys. I think these are guys that love Jesus. I think these are guys that pray. I think these are guys that are in their word. I don't think these are perfect guys, any of them, including me. Come on now. But you know what each of us had in common in that moment? In that moment, we realized, man, we are so caught up in life. We are so used to the norms of what we see that we are not missional men. We are not missional people. We are not people who are waking up in our prayer time saying, God, who needs the salvation of grace today? God, who needs me to walk into their office? God, who needs me to knock on their door? God, who needs me to text them? God, who needs me to reach out to them? God, who needs me to be you in their lives? Not that I am the Savior, but I am the representative of your kingdom in their lives. So much that we have going on in our lives. And listen, that goes for men and women in the room. I, and again, this is not to be condemning. This is not to guilt anyone. This is to simply say, church, are we awake? Church, are we on mission? Because listen, we got to be gospel-centered, but we have to be gospel-centered. Or we're never going to walk in unity. You know why? Because when we are not gospel-centered, you know what we start doing? We start picking what things we want to be gospel-centered about. We start picking our golden calves in our lives, right? We start deciding this is the most important thing. Wait a second, wait a second. I I love it when people say, well, that's a non-essential. Well, if it's in the Bible, it's essential. Let me say it again. Let me say, let, let me say it again. If it is in the Bible, it is essential. There is nothing in this word that is non-essential. Actually, Minister John, he had a conversation with someone a long time ago. I don't even know if you remember sending me this email. With, it was with, from Mark Cahill, and we were talking about you, you were not me. I'm, I'm going to blame you, but you, you said it. But he only said it because we always say it. He was like, yeah, but there's some non-essentials. And Mark Cahill came back and said, that's funny because I don't find the Bible where it says that there are non-essentials. I don't find in the scriptures where there are non-essentials. It's all essential. We got how to know how to apply it in our lives, right? And I'm not a Jewish person, so I'm not going to go over here and have to worry about, you know, growing hair down the side of my head and all that kind of stuff there. However, I need to know why that's in there. That is essential. That is essential, essentially in there because what? It shows me something about God. You know what's the problem with us? Let me tell you what, what, what the greatest problem with us is. As we have disconnected this book... From God. We have disconnected this book from God. I'm reading a book on biblical ethics. And one of the greatest issues that that people have and, 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 and they have this question, you know, is the law good because God said it's good? Right. Or, you know, they're asking like, okay so is it good because God said it's good, which is problematic. Why? And I'm just going to give you this as quickly as I can, because if, if the law is if the law, meaning God's law, is only good because God said it's good. That means that God could say anything's good and he could change his mind at any moment. Right. He could say, well, you know, murder is bad today, but tomorrow I think murder is good. So, you know, it, it creates this, this conundrum like, okay, well, well, is it, is it that, right? You know, and, and, and then, you know, the, you, you start to disconnect. But wait a second, but here's what the truth is. The law is good because God is good. You get that? The law is good because God is good. And when David says in Psalm 51, I have sinned against you and you alone, that doesn't make any sense because he had Uriah murdered. He sinned obviously against Bathsheba by, you know, bringing her into an adulterous relationship. Yes, I'm blaming him. Come on now. He's the king. Glory to God. He's the one who had the power and the authority. What was Bathsheba going to say? No. (laughs) He's the king. Right? He's the man of authority in that moment. He's the one that called her. He didn't have to call her, did he? He saw her. He could have repented. So, yeah, it's his fault in this moment. And so we have this, this, this truth here when we're looking at why. how could David say against you and you alone have I sinned. You know why? Because when you sin against God's word, when you break God's law, you are replacing God in your life. You're saying, you know what? You're not God. I'm God. We disconnect this book. From our lives. We disconnect this book from God. And so it's not, listen, this is not just a rule book. This is not just a morality book. This is a book of revelation. This is a book of revelation of who God is. This is a book that shows us who God is. It reveals to us who God is. And so, church, if we are going to be unified, we've got to be gospel centered, but we also have to be gospel sent every area, every day of our lives. We need to say, God, where are you sending me? First thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this say, Our differences differences should bring balance balance in ministry, ministry. not conflict conflict. to to ministry. Our differences should bring balance to ministry, not conflict to ministry. And so what should happen is this, is that you and I, as brothers and sisters, we should be committed to the gospel, and we should be committed to the mission of the gospel. But here is what should happen. What should happen, because you and I are wired differently, you know what we're going to do? We are going to be concerned about something specifically. There's going to be something that moves me in a certain way that it may not move you that way. And it's not, and listen, it's not a coincidence. It's not only because of your nurture, you know, nature versus nurture. No, no, no. It's not just that. It's because there are some people who legitimately, you know, we talked, we prayed this morning for Lizelle's parents. Lizelle's parents, man, they have a call to missions that are overseas, that are away from here. That is their mandate. That is their call, right? That is not every single person. Not every single person has that same burden, that same calling. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you unholy if you don't have that burden of calling? No, you're differently wired than them. But you know what we should all do? We should all be missionaries in our own backyards. I'm not talking about the squirrels in our backyards or the lizards or the frogs. I'm talking about our neighborhoods, right? We should all be the the, the missionaries, right, in our world. No no matter where we are, now some of us will be called that way. And then there's other people, they have certain things. I mean, there are certain things that are really important to them. Like, for example, I'm a person, I am a teacher in God's Word, and so God's Word matters to me a whole bunch. Uh, You know, little things bother me. I I have trouble listening to someone preach without being like, okay, that, that doesn't really align with Scripture. And it's not because I'm trying to be critical. It's just because I try to study God's Word. I try to understand God's Word. And so when someone goes off the rails, I'm like, I don't know if that's right. But you know what? Other people are like, oh, that was a great message. I'm like, I don't know. Are they not holy because they didn't notice what I noticed? No. They're gifted differently. Do you know what happens? What happens is when, I, when my gifting and my wiring and the way that I am becomes the driving force in everything, I don't realize that God has surrounded me with people that are different than I am. And it should bring balance to ministry, not conflict, right, right? I love the example of marriage, right? Because you think about marriage, typically, typically, you know, they're, they're saying, this is not in the Bible, but this is, in most cases, right, opposites attract, right? And most of the time, you know, a, a lot of times you have two people, like, you know, one of them is maybe super talkative, the other one is not so much. Sometimes you're both really talkative, and that's a problem. But anyway, anyway. <laughs> hmm. So you have problems listening or whatever the case may be. But nonetheless, you, you, you get people that are different. Like, one person's super affectionate, the other person's like, don't touch me. Hmm right? Like, these, these things happen, right? The way that you, you know, you think about the way you're going to discipline your kids, right? Sometimes it's like a totally different thing. Like, one of you is like, yo, I'm the pow-pow person, glory to God. And the other person is like, no, we don't hit our children. It's like, okay, wait a second, wait a, You know, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's go to the Bible on this. There's, there's a rod thing in here. Come on now, let's talk about this, right? <laughs> but the fact is, what do we do? We, we have differences in marriage, that should not create conflict, they should create balance. In other words, I can't just be whooping you every time I get upset, right? Or you do something wrong. Sometimes you gotta have a conversation. I need someone to balance me out, glory to God. Amen. Amen. That's just factual, right? It's just, it, it, is, it is the way that it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be balanced so that way we can do what? In and, and the context of, of marriage, it's so we way we can walk together so that way we can raise our children in a godly way. And we're still focused. And even though I have different ideas than you, even though I have different burdens than you, that doesn't mean that we got to have conflict. We have conflict when we're God and God is not God. And so we have this issue here. Presently, I want you to know this church, and and moving out of the marriage context into the church context, the enemy is working effectively to further divide the church. If you haven't noticed this, this is what is happening, and it's been happening for a while. This isn't like today, because I want you to know something. We have been infighting for a long time over doctrine. (laughs) Hey, you're speaking tongues for today? We have arguments about that. Hey, should we baptize babies? We have arguments about that. Hey, what about predestination, you know? Hey, can you lose your salvation? You know, like all those good questions. I promise you, every time that we've done a Q&A um, sermon series, every single time, and I think it's just a setup. I think somebody's just doing this because they want me to, like, answer. But every single time, the same question comes up. Can you lose your salvation? I'm like, didn't I answer this three ser- series ago? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, didn't I, I, I thought I did. I thought I was clear on this stuff. But the point is, we have been, I mean, you have people that are arguing, that are dividing. We divide over denomination. What should worship look like? I mean, all this different. And so we have been, we, we have been in fighting for a long time, setting the groundwork for what? For this great division that we're seeing right now. You see, the truth is that there is going to be, and, and this is just scriptural, we can't get away from this. The scriptures promise us that there will be a great falling away. Please understand me when I say this, and I, and I try to say this every single time that I bring this up. This great falling away is what I described to you, I think it was two weeks ago, when I was going through the Barnard Report, where people are questioning Scripture, yet they still want to be called Christians. The new reformation that they call it, it is really the great apostasy is what it is. It is people who are sitting in the church who are opening a Bible or quoting some scriptures and what they are doing is they are leading people astray because they themselves are going astray yet they don't want to leave the label Christian. Because they grew up that way, because they know that that's the thing, right? And so they, they should be Christian, but they want to change Christianity. And so the scripture says there is going to be this great apostasy. There is going to be a great falling away. And friends, I want you to know something. I say this with, 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 a, with a heavy heart. Some of our friends are going to be the ones that fall away. Some of the people that we love so much are going to be the ones that we're like, man, that's, that, that's a woman of God. Man, that's a man of God. Man, that's somebody that I know that prays. That's somebody that I know that's in the Word. That's somebody that you know, taught the Bible. That's somebody that was a preacher. Listen, there, there, there's going to be a great falling away before the return of Jesus. And so we know this. So church, that's why we have to be on guard. That's why we have to be vigilant because we need to be sure that we are not what? That we are not giving in to the pressures of being divided. So we have to think about this. It's imperative, I think, that we look at what God has done in Scripture. And I want you to think about this, what God has done in the Scripture. And the Scriptures to advance his purposes within the earth. Here's what he has done. He has gathered diverse people. And we see this in the text here. We're going to get back into the text. I haven't forgotten about the Bible. But I want to lay this foundation. But he has, he has done something that is very peculiar and something that is different. He has taken different people. He has taken diverse people and he has brought them all together at the foot of the cross. This is why the gospel is so important because what the gospel does is it levels the playing field. Because there is no one who has arrived, there is no one who is greater than the other. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's what the scripture says. And so, no matter whether you are a Jew, no matter whether you are a covenant person, no matter if you are a Hindu, a Buddhist, no matter how much meditation you do, no matter how spiritual you are, no matter how much good stuff you do, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you need Jesus badly. You need Jesus so we all are gathered together at the foot of the cross. And then we're gathered at the foot of the cross. We are filled with God's spirit as we repent and we are sent out in resurrection power with what? We are sent out with a message that is a focused message as we're doing what? As we are becoming one. Think about that. God brings us all together at the foot of the cross. He lets us all know that we need to be changed. We need to put our faith in Christ. He brings us all together there. He shows us who he is. We we repent. We trust in him. He fills us with his spirit. He sends us out on mission. But as we're going out on mission, you know what he's calling us to do? He's calling us to be one. He's calling us to be one. Pastor Aldo said it a few weeks ago. He said we got to fight for fellowship. We have to fight for unity in the body of Christ. We cannot just give in you know, and be like, well, whatever, it really doesn't matter. It really does matter. See, here's the thing I want you to notice about Jesus when we're looking at the scripture. By religious and social standards, Jesus called the wrong men. Come on now. Who did Jesus call? Jesus called fishermen, some stank dudes that had a bad attitude. Come on now. Right? I, mean, I mean, for real. Like, I, you know, My mother-in-law, she was cooking something in the kitchen the other day. She was making some, um, I don't know what she was making anyway. It had cilantro in it and onions and all this stuff. And she was like, man, I know the people that make this, when they come out of here like, after their day at work, they smell like onions. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. And so thinking about fish, and then she brought up fish. She was like, you know, when I used to work as a chef, I, I mean, I would be working with fish. She's like, I would come out there smelling like fish all day. Come on now. Yeah. So what do you think these fishermen smelled like? Fish. fish. Fish tastes good, y'all, if you like fish, but the smell, the after effects, you, you got to make sure you take the garbage out. If you don't, hmm. Jesus called the wrong guys. He called his tax collector. I mean, this guy was hated by Jewish people. He was a traitor by Jewish standards. I mean, that, 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 that's what Matthew was. James and John, sons of thunder, they want to call lightning down from heaven to kill people. I mean, Jesus called the wrong men. He should have called really religious guys. He should have gone to the local Bible college and seminary and said, hey, guys, why don't you guys come follow me because I need some really smart dudes that really know their body. No, 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 Jesus said, no, I'm going to bring the right guys. Jesus called women. Y'all know that that was wrong, do you not? (laughs) Women were not allowed to be called to, to serve in ministry. He didn't just call women. He called the wrong women. Come on now. Woman over here washing his feet, and, and they're like, if, they knew, if he knew what kind of woman she was, wrong woman. He's like, come on, you know, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> woman woman was demon-possessed, Mary Magdalene. He calls a demon-possessed woman, and she follows him. I believe she was the first gospel proclamant, was she not? She saw Jesus in the tomb. Wrong way, right? I mean, just anyway, just, I mean, just think about it. Jesus called the wrong people. And here in this text, coming back to the scriptures that we're in, I want you to think about the three guys that we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a guy by the name of Paul. He was a purebred Jewish man, a Jew of Jews. I mean, he was a guy that was a prideful dude in his heritage as a Jew prior to him coming to Christ. I mean, this guy was like, you know, serious. He was the, he was the one Jesus should have called in the first place. You know what I'm saying? The other guy, Timothy, that he talks about, Timothy was a half Jew, half Greek, that's, that, that's not cool. You all remember the story. I don't want to talk about that too much, but they had a circumcised Timothy. I feel bad for him. Grown man, lived, lived his whole life. You want to come with me, bro? We got to do some things. Wow. Praise the Lord for grace. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And then Epaphroditus, he is a pure Gentile. No Jew in him at all. Pure Gentile from everything we know. And so you want to talk about a mixed bunch? Jewish guy, half-breed, and a full-on just heathen. Come on now. And these are the guys we're talking about. This is the guy that's writing to us, talking to us about these other guys. Church, what I want you to realize by this is God has not changed his plans. We need to find the common ground of the gospel, And then find the common mission that is there being sent by God to go forward. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say unity in ministry happens when we are conforming to Christ. Unity in ministry happens when we are conforming to Christ. I said this a few weeks ago and this burned in my heart big time as we were going through Jesus being given the name above every name. And the biggest problem in the church today is that we have stopped declaring Jesus is Lord. It is not that we have stopped saying it verbally. It's that we have stopped living it. We have decided that we are going to divide over things that if we would simply say, is Jesus Lord here, we wouldn't be divided over it. There would be no way to divide over it. I was talking to my sister Marisol last night before they got up there to minister, and the one thing that we talked about, every single thing we see that's happening politically, socially, all that kind of stuff, church, I want you to hear this. There are things that are black and white in God's word, and we need to stand firm on what is black and white. What is not black and white, we can disagree on, we can debate, and we can discuss, but when it is black and white in God's word, we need to stand firm and say, this is what God's word says. He is Lord, I am not, neither are you. I don't care how much I like you. I don't care how much we agree on other things. This is what Scripture teaches. And this, and I don't know about you, this is my thought, and you can, you can say amen to this if you want, if you believe it. If you don't, don't say amen. But here's what I believe. What I believe is that what is best for our culture is God's laws. I firmly believe that our, that, that our Bible, that is not just a rule book, it has great rules for society. It has great rules for culture. It has great rules. Like, honesty should be a big thing for us. Amen? Amen. I mean, the book of Proverbs says that one of the things that God hates is lying lips. Does he not? He hates a false witness. Come on now. He hates the one that is sowing discord among brethren. I mean, come on now. That's something that's black and white. There's no gray area in there. Is there? I mean, I think that's crystal clear. We should be people that are honest. We should be people that are truthful. We should want, listen, I'm just saying, we should want to make sure that that truth is of a high value in our society, should we not? I'm just saying. It should be, it, it should be something that we really care about. And so we have to say, well, this is what Scripture says. We know that, I mean, the Scriptures teach us. I mean, you go back to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis shows us what? That that life is valued by God. So that means that that should be something that is black and white, not something that's gray, right? God destroyed a city uh, by the name of Sodom and Gomorrah for immorality. That's pretty black and white, is it not? That's not being mean, right? That's just being truthful. That's just saying there are certain things that are abominations to God. There are certain things that dishonor God. Certain things that that, that make a culture. Now think about this for a moment. There are certain things that make a culture susceptible to God's judgment. Think about that. There are certain things that when we value these things, when we legislate certain things, what we are saying to God is, God, you know what? Your laws that are clear, your laws that are black and white, they're not the highest standard for me. And me as a Christian in a culture, I'm just going to shut my mouth because that doesn't matter. No. We're guilty for that. We need to rise up and say, wait a second, we're going to be people that stand for truth, stand for righteousness. We're not going to pick and choose. We're going to go ahead and say, hey, if the Bible says it, I need to stand for it. Amen? Amen. I mean, I think that's what we should be doing, right? We should be standing for what the Scriptures teach. But we divide over stuff because what? Because Jesus isn't Lord. I'm Lord. Someone else's ideology is Lord. Wait a second. Jesus has to be Lord in our lives. That's what we're supposed to be walking in. When we see Timothy and Epaphroditus, what do we see? We see two different men. One of them was a half-breed Jew. The other one was, you know, full-on Gentile. We can assume that their upbringing was different. Their experiences in life were different. And yet, what does God do? Why does God do this? We just finished looking at Jesus' example of humility, of perfection. It's tough, right? You ever been in a situation where someone is like, hey, you know what? Jesus would do this. And then you're like, well, I'm not Jesus. Ever said that? Ever thought that? I have. I'm not Jesus. I wish I was, but I'm not. I don't walk on water. So a lot of times we think, well, you know what? I'm not Jesus, so I can lower the standard. Then you're like, well, look at Paul. Paul was like the man, right? Like, I mean, this guy was serious about his walk and he was a holy man. And you see some, and sometimes we think, oh, well, there's some spiritual giants out there and they can live holy and they can live righteous. But you know what Paul does? Paul says, let me take you back. Take you back to a dude named Timothy and a dude named Epaphroditus. These are regular guys. These are your average Joes, and guess what? God has raised them up, not because they were special, not because they had some that we know of, not because they had some, you know, supernatural encounter with God that God walked in a room, you know, did what, nope, none of that. They simply wanted to follow, and guess what? They're examples to us. So this is going to be my longest point. You're like, well, the first point is very long. This is going to be the longest one, so just get ready. Because here's what we have in these guys, is that we see that God begins with their character, and that's what makes them extraordinary men, because God shows, and through Paul, communicating their character. So what does it look like to, a, to a, the, what are the characteristics of someone who is conforming to Christ? What are the characteristics of someone who is conforming to Christ? So we're going to look at three characteristics in each of their lives. We're going to run through this really quickly. But here's the first one. In Timothy, and I'll give you the three for Timothy. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. But in Timothy's life, we see a servant's mind, we see a servant's training, and we see a servant's reward. We see a servant's mind, we see a servant's training, and we see a servant's reward. And so the first thing that we see, let's look at verse 19 to verse 20. Really quick, it says this. It says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. And so what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, I'm concerned about you. And because I'm concerned about you, I'm going to send you somebody who is going to be my ambassador, who's going to be the one that's going to represent me. I'm going to send him to you. But then he goes on and he says something that's so beautiful in verse 20. He says, for I I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Think about that. All the people that you know, Paul is ministered to. And Paul says, I have no one like-minded. I have no one who has the same mind, the same heart that Timothy has. I have no one that is like-minded. See, church, here's the thing. He, he said that will care for you, that will sincerely care for you. We must genuinely care about people. Are you here? We must genuinely care about people. We don't just genuinely care about saving them. We don't just genuinely care about influencing them. We don't just genuinely care about other things in their lives, developing them or whatever the case is, but we genuinely care for them. Question, do you genuinely, do you genuinely care for people? Do you genuinely care for people? And, listen, and, and, and let's bring that into, in, into this, this context of mission. Do you genuinely care about those who are lost? Not not, not just that you want to make friends with them so you can bring them to church. That's a good thing to do, to bring someone to church, right? It's a good thing to talk to somebody about Christ. But, man, do you genuinely care about what that person is going through in their life? Do you genuinely care for them? Because I assure you, when you genuinely care for someone, it will bring some change to their hearts. They see when you genuinely care. The second thing we see in verse 21 is a servant's training. Look at verse 21. He says this. He says, for all seek their own, not the things of Christ. See, nobody in, in Rome was willing to, like, go, but Timothy was. Everybody else was more concerned about their own situation, their own stuff that was going on with them, what was happening in their life. And that's what happens to us, is it not? We get so consumed with our lives and what we're going through and what we're experiencing. And listen, I'm not questioning, uh, you know, the, the validity and the reality of what we're facing and what we're going through. Listen, we all go through tough stuff. Some, some people are going through more tough stuff than others. I mean, I mean that's, that's just the truth. But Timothy was concerned about them enough to say what? Man, he's been trained. He's been developed. See, we have to grow. Why, why, why was Timothy concerned about other people? Because he walked with Paul. Because he saw Paul's care and concern for other people. Because he knew Paul cared about other people. Because he watched Paul minister to other people. And so what I say is this, is that we must grow in service of others by imitating those who serve others. We grow in service of others by imitating those who serve others. We do that and we grow deep in our roots in Christ. Verses 23 to verse 24 says this. It says, therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly. I hope to send him soon to you. The third thing is a servant's reward. Think about Timothy and what we know about him. There's three things we know about Timothy. Number one is that Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. That's a good thing, right? He was Paul's son in the faith. He, He walked with Paul. Paul was able to pour into him. He was Paul's servant in the mission. He ministered to Paul's needs. He was there to minister to him. But this is a beautiful thing. He became Paul's substitute in ministry as well. When Paul was incarcerated, he would say, listen, I'm going to send Timothy to you. I'm going to, let, I'm going to send him as an ambassador. It wasn't about him. This was the servant's reward. So what is the servant's reward that we get? A servant's reward is not found in his own accomplishments, his own accolades, and everything he accomplishes for himself. It is in his ability to serve the body of Christ. See, there, there, there's a certain reward when you bless somebody. There's a certain reward when you know, listen, when I'm preaching, and I don't, and listen, I, I, this always happens. I go out in the front, and I say this statement, and then everybody tells me, great job. Listen, I'm not saying that for this, but it is encouraging for me when someone is encouraged by the message that is preached. It is encouraging for me when, when, when I'm doing something for the Lord and it blesses someone's life. That is the encouragement. I was so blessed. I mean, you guys bless me, you know, every year for the clergy appreciation. I'm so grateful for, you know, the gifts that you guys have given me, for the cards and the words that you guys share. I mean, that stuff matters. Because what? Because that's part of, I mean, my great reward is going to be in heaven. If I get everything here on earth, I ain't got nothing to look forward to. Come on now. Same thing for any of us, but there is a certain reward when I can be a blessing to someone else. Well, let's look at Epaphroditus, because what do we see in Epaphroditus? And i give you the three for him. He is a balanced Christian, a burdened Christian, and a blessed Christian. He is a balanced Christian. He is one who has this balance. Look at verse 25. It says here in verse 25, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier but your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs. And so the first thing we see is a balanced Christian. What do we need here? What do we see here in his life? He says that he is his brother, so that shows us fellowship. He says he is his fellow worker. That means he's one who works beside him. He, see, he is a fellow soldier. He is a warrior that is standing there. Let me say this. We need fellowship. Pastor Aldo, again, I'm going to quote him as many times as I can until you get sick of hearing it. Fight for fellowship. Church, too many of us are okay not connecting. Too many of us are okay not, listen, you, and and I say you, I'm going to put the onus on you. You know why? Because we talk about connect all the time. We talk about rooted all the time. We talk about being connected all the time. And so we have made it it available, made it possible. You need fellowship with your brothers and sisters. You know why that's important? Because it's not just about the food you eat together. It's not just about the hanging out that you do. It is about developing relationships that are going to challenge you, that are going to change you, that are going to encourage you in the mission that God has called you into you need fellowship you need people that can speak into your lives you need people who you can speak into their life we need fellowship too many of us we're like well you know what it's just a fellowship thing I'm not gonna go that's the worst thing you can do it's you know what I don't need it no you need to be there Paul needed brothers but then there's this worker can I tell you, I'm the kind of guy, I am encouraged when brothers, you know, we got to do something and people show up early to work with me. Come on now. It's encouraging when I show up. And at least a couple of people are like, yo, Bishop, what do you need? How can we help? That, that, they're, that they're ready to work. We're going to do a project. Hey, man, I want to help. Hey, we're gonna. That, that is encouraging stuff. Why? Because we need people that are workers, people that work, people who put their hands to the plow. And then he said he's, a, he's, he's his fellow soldier. He's says, warrior. You know what? You know, you know. what's also encouraging? It's encouraging to know that, yo, there's somebody that they're like that ride or die. You know what I'm saying? That person that is with you, that person that's going to stand with you, not just your wife or your husband. Yeah, that, that's important. Praise God that you have that. But that brother, that sister in your life that you know, man, when I'm going through hell of high water, I know they're going to go with me. I know they're going to walk with me. And it's not just that they're ready to go to the streets and start fighting. No, man. But you know that this person knows you're going through. I mean, you want that person too if that happens, right? I'm just saying. Put it out there, right? That may that may happen. I mean, and at some point you need someone to stand next to you. Nonetheless, don't be don't be picking fights, all right? Y'all, come on, repent. Um, but but <laughs> But what I'm talking about is that you know you have a brother or a sister that when there is warfare that is going on, when there is a battle that is raging, you know you have someone who is praying for you, man. I'm encouraged, man. Sister Marisol, she texted me a few weeks ago. She's like, Bishop, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you, praying for you, blah, blah, blah. And she didn't know anything that was going on, man. But praise the living God. That was a moment because I sense in church, you know this, that there is warfare that is going on. That's not just about core faith. I mean, there is a battle that is going on. There are false prophetic voices that are out there there are lying spirits that are out there that are communicating and the church needs to be awake but what we have to do is we have to engage in this spiritual warfare we've got to engage in this battle and what we need is brothers and sisters that are standing next to us in fellowship that are standing next to us in work that are standing next to us in battle whether it's in the natural or in the spiritual but that they are standing there and they are fighting because that is what it means to be a balanced christian it's to understand that all three of these things, not one of them is more important than the other. They're all three important. We gotta grow in them proportionately. And I'm wrapping this up. I got like five more minutes. Just give me five more minutes. We'll be done here. He was a burdened Christian. Epaphroditus was a burdened Christian. Look at this guy. I, I, I love what happens here. Look at verse 26. It says, Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Now listen, now listen, I want you to understand what was just said here. When he was sick, he was worried about them. I'm going to tell you something right now. When I'm sick, I ain't worried about anybody but me. I'm going to just keep 100%. I'm not as good as Epaphroditus here. When I get sick, I don't want you to call me. I'm not thinking about you. I'm not worried about. Listen, I am sick. But it's not just sick. I'm not, I'm not talking about a common cold. Look at this guy. Verse 27. For indeed he was sick Almost unto death. He had COVID. <laughs> for real, right? He had something. There was something that was about to take his life. And while he is on life support, right, while he is on his deathbed, he's worried about the church. Y'all pray for me. I want to be that way. I'm not that way yet. was a burdened christian he cared about what was going on with others even when he was in distress himself church we have to be burdened for one another we have to care about one another you know what you know you know what was amazing about epaphroditus he wasn't a spectator he wasn't a consumer that's what we have in this in, in this culture we live in consumers It's all about what they get. It's all about what they receive. It's all about what they need. It's all about where they are. They're not contributors. They're not participants. They're spectators. You know how you can tell when you're a spectator? When you criticize everything. You study, you know, we're we're, we're out here, right? And I, I can say this, you know, being a person who is there. I play keys, you know, I sing and stuff like that. And so when I'm here, right, I am spectating in some, in, to some extent, and so I'm critical of everything, you know, is the sound this, is that sound. And, and and like my head is all over the place, right, and so I have to like shut it off. I mean, I repent all the time. I'm like, God, forgive me for being distracted because I want to participate. I want to worship. However, when I'm sitting right there and I'm doing that, even though I'm looking at things and I may see stuff that's wrong, it's totally different than when I'm sitting out here it's so like I'm taking notes. Well, did the drummer do this? Did the bass player do this? Is the guitar player too loud? You know, I mean, all that stuff where the singer's on point. Like, you go through all that, You start criticizing, and you know, you're like, I don't criticize that stuff, but what do you criticize? Well, what, what are you studying back saying? Well, I don't know. Wait, wait a second. Epaphroditus was a burdened Christian. He wasn't just some guy that was just there looking at everything that was wrong. And here's, here's the thing. He was, he was burdened to the point that he was willing to give his life for Christ. He was willing to give his life for Christ. Christ mattered more. The third thing that we see in him is we see a blessed Christian. Verse 28 to verse 30. It tells us this. It says, Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that we that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Verse 30. Because of the work of Christ, he came close To death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Our greatest blessing is what? It's not measured by what we have. It's measured by how much of a blessing we can be to others. Epaphroditus was not so concerned about what, as a matter of fact, he's on his deathbed, and he cared about these people that he loved, and he wanted to bless them. And Paul wanted to be this blessing. And here's what I say as I'm getting ready to wrap up. When our character is conforming to Christ, ministry is effective because we are experiencing grace and we're extending grace. Think about that. When our character is conforming to Christ, ministry is effective because we are experiencing grace and we're extending grace. We're experiencing the grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God. And as we experience it, we extend it. You know what's the problem with a lot of folks? They're in church, but they're not experiencing grace. They're not experiencing the grace, the love, the mercy of God, so they're not extending it to others. See, it's important for us that we experience this and that we extend this to others. Repeat this after me. When the gospel is central, the the mission stays central. central. This is going to be my shortest point that I'll make. When the gospel is central, the mission stays central. For the last few weeks, even for the last few months, I have railed against being distracted and being divided. I'm going to tell you this. Our greatest enemy is distraction from the gospel because it leads to defection from the mission. Our greatest enemy is distraction from the gospel because it leads to defection from the mission. When we are distracted, you know what we start doing? We stop doing what God has called us to do. We stop being part of what God wants us to be part of. We start pulling away because we don't want to continue in the mission that God has for us. I love what one writer said, and this is so important. He said this, in a very real sense, we are either living Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, or we are living Philippians 2.21, which says what? That they were all about themselves. The question is, which one are you living? Are you living as it's Christ, or are you living for yourself? My closing question is this. Are you living a gospel-centered life resulting in in a a going life? Are you living a gospel-centered life resulting in a going life? Are you living that life? If you're not, I call you today, humble your heart before the Lord. Ask him, God. God. I don't want to be a person that's living for me. I want to be a person that's living for your glory. I don't want to be a person who's living for my own will. I want to be a person who is living for the will of God. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we come to you and we pray that you would purify our hearts, you would purify our minds. God, that you would, as you have shown us today where we have erred, where we are wrong, where we are in need of your grace. Lord, purify us, make us more like you, burden our hearts, give us the servant's mind, and let us recognize, Lord, that we can live the standard you've called us to. Father, forgive us for allowing division to creep in. Forgive us for allowing the the lies of the enemy to take root in our hearts. God, help us for your glory's sake, for your name's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said...